two of our series called The Art of Neighboring. Last week, we talked about how Jesus really gave us two commands. And I gave you guys the example of my kids, like telling my kids to go clean their room. And like, there's a literal command to that. Like they literally need to go clean their room. And some of us, we take that command figuratively. And some of my kids, a lot of times they think, oh, well, that doesn't really mean to clean my room. What he means is like, just kind of pick it up a little bit until I feel good and then I can relax. No, I literally mean clean your room, right? And so that's what we talked about last week. And the command that we looked at, that was when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God with everything you are. That's the greatest commandment that he gave us. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we have to take that command seriously. And last week I showed you guys a card. And if you didn't get the card last week, you can actually just make one of these. This is not like rocket science in, in terms of design goes. But it, the card just says, who is my neighbor? And then you draw uh, nine squares. And in the very middle, you put your house. So that's your house right there. I'm having trouble with this thing. My ears are like tiny for my head and it's falling off, right? I'm good now, right? I'm good. All right, so what you do is you draw uh, nine squares, draw a house right in the middle, and then your neighbor that's across the street from you, that he gets the top center square, the neighbor beside them, the neighbor beside them. And what you try to do is you just try to start with what is their name? How many of you guys know the names of your neighbors, Right? How many of you guys know the names of your neighbors now because you did this exercise last week with us here and you did that? And some, for some people in our culture, and guys, again, last week I told you guys, I'm not here to beat you up on this. This is culture for us. We live in a society where we all have our nice fenced-in backyards, like everybody has it here. We all have our, our uh, garage doors. We pull in, open the garage door, pull in, get out of the car, close the garage door, and then we live in our house, and that's it. And we don't neighbor well. That's just part of our culture. And so we talked about what does it look like to be a good neighbor. We looked at this, this passage in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Uh, the, uh, a, a guy asked Jesus, he said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest, uh, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets depend all of the law and the prophets. So if I want to get this right, right, if I want to take in, take what Jesus says seriously, and Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if I want to love God, and that's my response to it, really I just have to do two things. I have to love God with everything that I am, and I have to love my neighbor as myself. That's the two commandments. Now, a cynical person would look at this, would look at, you know, well, there's a pastor telling people that they need to love their neighbor, and there's a church that's saying that they need to love their neighbor. A cynical person would say that Christians are just loving their neighbors because they have some ulterior motive of evangelism. And by the way, a little thing about cynicism. How many of you guys know what cynicism is? Cynicism is where you don't really ever believe anything at face value. You're like conspiracy theory, everything. No one is ever doing like. Really, it's a choice to live like that. And I can tell you this, it's far less exhausting to fight your cynicism than it is to live in it. And so a cynic would look at, at this and say, well, it, what's the ulterior motive? Am I only being nice to people because I want to see them be saved? No, th there's a big difference between having an ulterior motive and having an ultimate motive. The big difference between an ulterior motive and an ultimate motive, the ulterior motive implies manipulation. Things are done with a secret intent or motivation. Love with ulterior motives is really not love in its purest form. Think about it. If I only love someone because I want to get something out of them, then really that's not, that's not love. It's kindness with strings attached. 
In contrast, ultimate motives indicate an end goal. Ultimate motive. I want to I love because that's my ultimate motive. And so today, the title of the message is Love is the Ultimate Goal. The example I used last week with my kids cleaning their room, I don't love my kids because I have an ulterior motive for them to clean their room right? I don't love my kids because I want them to clean their room. I love my kids because that's my ultimate goal is to love them. Part of it is, hey, I want you to clean your room. I want you to do these things. But ultimately, I just want to be a good dad. I want to love them. In the same way, we as a church, if we're only going to love our neighbors because we're trying to get them to come to an event or like us or something like that, that's kindness with strings attached. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And even Jesus says that we're called to love our enemies. And so even if they don't ever come to church with you, even if they don't ever become good friends with you, even if they're just mean to you, even if they're the ones that call in the HOA on you all the time, or they're the ones that are, that are uh, always fussing about your dog or whatever it is, right? You're called to love them with no strings attached. We're called to love them. Love is the ultimate goal. Well, pastor, don't they need to know about Jesus? Don't they need to be saved? Yes, of course they do. But God is the one that does the saving, right? God is the one who saves people. I think so many times you and I, we, we get it mixed up and we think, well, this is my responsibility that I have to be the one that if I don't do everything right and I don't say everything right and I don't at just at the perfect time, then, then it's not going to happen. But God is the ultimate person who says it. It's God's will, the Father's will, the work of Jesus on the cross and then drawing someone's heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what saves people and that's what we call grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says this, for by grace... You have been saved. God saves us through grace. And then it says through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not, the, not a result of works, so that any can boast. Faith indicates the individual's response to grace. So God is the one who's saving. God is the one who's, who's, who's doing something in people's lives. God's the one that's doing something in your life. It's not my words. It's not the words of your family or your husband or your spouse. God is doing something in your life. And what happens is that God brings people into our lives for certain seasons because God is wanting to do something in us. God is wanting to do something in us. And so we have to understand that, number one, grace saves us, it saves the individual. Grace is God's gift from the cross. But our individual response is faith, is believing in it. That's the process of salvation. So take whatever pressure you feel to save your neighbors. Just take that and set it aside for for a moment and realize that it's God's work to do. You and I are simply called to love well. We're simply called to love well. If I love well as an ultimate motivation, will God use me in the process of saving people? Yes, He will use you in that process. Uh, Bob Goff, he's an author, he says it this way. We don't need to try to control the work that God is doing in another person's life. We just need to love well and trust that God will do the rest. We're not accountable for the results of our own giving. And so a lot of you guys think, well, if I give and I serve my neighbor, and, and, and what if they don't reciprocate? What if they don't love me back? What if they, they still call the HOA on me? What if they still do that to me? What if they still act, act like a, a mean person? What if they still do that? You're not called to, to be responsible for whatever the result of that gift is. You're just called to give it, right? We're just called to give love. We're just called to, 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 to love without the strings attached. And when we do that, we trust God 
for transformation. Goff says this in another place. He says, we're not an advertisement of Jesus. We're supposed to be evidence of him. We're not an advertisement of Je- for Jesus. We're supposed to be evidence of him. The end goal is to love well. That is our mission. Why is it important that you know what is in your power and your scope of responsibility in relationships and what is in God's power and God's scope of responsibility. Because if I think that I'm responsible for getting people across the line of salvation and they don't respond, then guess what? It's my fault. But if I realize that the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit's doing and, the whole, and God is doing what he's doing and he's working in that person's heart, he knows exactly what they need. He knows exactly what they need to hear. And it doesn't have to be my agenda. I don't have to go into the conversation or the relationship like a bull in a china shop steamrolling people. No, all I do is I just love well. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit does the rest. So why is it important for us to love well. This is why it's really important for us to know our calling to love well. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through 3. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am Nothing. If I give all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. There is not a gift, practice, discipline, power, or position that takes the place of or gets us out of our calling to love. There's not. Like, you don't get, like, like I remember growing up, I was like, I grew up in church. My parents uh, weren't, weren't pastors. I know a lot of pastors or kids of pastors and stuff. They weren't. We were just really good church-growing people. We were the kind of people that went to church anytime the lights were on, right? You know, we did the, the Wednesday night dinners, and we did the, the home groups and things like that. You, you guys know people like that? You know, so that was us, right? But I thought during that time, the best thing that I could ever do, like the highest thing that I could do in ministry would be like a full-time pastor, like what, I, what I'm doing right now, what I've spent the past 20 years of my life doing. That's what I thought, like that was it, right? But Paul literally right here says, if I do all those things, if I have all the gifts and all the the powers and all the things, and I don't love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. I'm not trying to downplay offices here, but what I realize is that for you and I, the important thing is that we respond to the call to love. We respond to the call of love. Love is something that we all can do and something that we all should do. Not everyone is called to pastor or teach, but we're all called to love. We don't get out of that. It's the most important thing we can do. And Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm just going to read here. And, and this, is, this is also something that we use as a church, and I'll just explain it to you guys here in a little bit. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists. Ephesians 4 verse 11. Sorry, I didn't reference that before. I just started reading. Here we go. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So is the pastoral staff of Connective Church supposed to be doing all the ministry? No. The pastoral staff of Connective Church is supposed to equip the saints. That's us, right? 
for the work of ministry. That's what we're supposed to do. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain uh, to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in Love, we are, to, uh, we are to grow up in every way to, into him who is the head, into Christ for whom the whole body, that's us, that's all of us together, joined together by every joint which, is, uh, which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In love. Love is the ultimate goal. It doesn't take much for you and I to love. Just put yourself in someone else's shoes and think, what's the simple thing that I could do for them that will be the most helpful to them? It's really not that hard. What's the simple thing I could do? You know, my wife, um, she hates grocery shopping, like hates it. I don't know. Like, it's just like, like just something about grocery shopping. How many of you guys like hate grocery shopping? Anybody? How many of you guys love grocery shopping? Like you were like, uh, find me in the aisles. I am there, you know, like doing that. So some of you guys love it, right? Some of you guys hate it. Here's the thing. I don't mind it, right? I don't mind. It's not hard, right? I, I can do it. I, I don't love doing it, but I can do it, right? But my wife hates it. One of the simple things that I can do, because I know how much she hates it, is I can just do it for her, Right? I could just serve her that way. Putting ourselves in someone else's shoes, that's a simple thing to do. It doesn't really take that much to love sometimes. But also, it takes everything to love. It takes everything to love. Because you and I, we've got our own issues, our own problems, our own needs. It's really hard to do sometimes. And this is where we need to understand that love is a spiritual gift. I need the Holy Spirit's help for me to love well, I need to submit to the Holy Spirit's leadership in my life. If you read 1 Corinthians 13 in its context, Paul, the, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. He wrote it to them. And he, in, in context, in chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about how, you know, we can have spiritual gifts in the church. And he talks about discernment and prophecy and faith and tongues and all these little spiritual gifts. He talks about all those things in chapter 12. And then he talks about it again in chapter 14, and right in the middle of it, he, he has this, this teaching in chapter 13 about love. See, a lot of times what we do is when we hear these, these, these this messages about love, we hear about 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, most of you guys have heard it probably in a wedding, right? Have you heard it in a wedding, right? 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, as long, that, all that. You hear it in a wedding, and we just think, oh, he's just talking about love there. No, what Paul is doing is he's talking about love in the middle of talking about a bunch of spiritual gifts. And so for you and I to love effectively, we have to be submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit because we know that the Holy Spirit is going to put us in the right place at the right time to do the right thing, to say the right thing, because the Holy Spirit is working on people to bring them to God. That's what's happening. And so we need to submit to the Holy Spirit. We need to submit to his leading in us and in, in what, in, in whatever he's doing. In essence, while Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, he's talking about love. In our obedience to love our neighbors, we need to encourage, we need to build up, we need to be out there because we know that God is doing something. 
God is doing something, not us. It's not, not my responsibility. My responsibility is just to love well. I love well, and I love well because I, I want to be follow, following the leading of the Holy Spirit, but then I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the rest. We're called to encourage one another. Encourage uh, it simply means to build courage. Your presence in the lives of other people brings courage to them so that they can reach their full potential. Some of us, when we talk about this, we just think, well, love is too practical. This is too practical. Like me um, bringing a cake over to my neighbor's house or me bringing cookies over there or me like helping a guy move out or me uh, helping a guy fix his, my neighbor fix his lawnmower. Like this stuff is way too practical. But according to the Bible, it's the most spiritual thing that we can do. Selflessly love John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says this, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. First John 4, verse 7 through 9, then we'll skip down to verse 19. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is Love, and in this love of God has made manifest, it's manifested in us, it's shown in us that God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. We love, verse 19, because he first loved us. The core teachings of Christianity are different than a lot of other teachings that you may hear a lot of other religions. A lot of other man-made religions there, it's all like performance-based. And, and I, I just went through and I, I pulled uh, a couple of things uh, from, from different religions and, and different things that, that, that people believe. And, and I pulled it from their website. So if Liz is looking through my like search history, which you know she has all access to, she's like, why are you looking at the Quran? Well, I was doing it for here for like reference, right? So Muslims believe in the Quran. It teaches that you must do good works to get to heaven, to get to God. Because that's uh, chap- chapter 2, verse 277. You think our chapters are long. Woo. Uh, verse 277. Hindus believe that, to achieve, that we must achieve dharma, and that's duties and righteousness and laws and conduct and virtues. That's, so it's all performance-based. It's all about us doing what we can to get to heaven. It's all about us doing what we can to get somehow gain favor with God, somehow get favor with whatever God is doing. Even closest to us here, and again, I'm pulling this from, from these organizations' websites, the LDS teaches that, that, uh, that whether or not we, where we go in the afterlife depends on to the degree in which we accept and follow Jesus. That's uh, similar words. But then it adds some stuff, as well as the desires of our heart and how we translate those desires into works. And, and the destination also depends on rights and other things. And so there's all this other stuff that you have to do to get to God. And so performance-based religion is all about what can you do to accomplish favor with God. That's what it's all about. Christianity uniquely acknowledges that you cannot get to God. His standard is far too high because he is perfect. It's a grace-based system. You cannot get there on your own, but Jesus did the work for you. John chapter 3, verse uh, 16 and 17. You probably know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
Why is the distinction between grace-based and performance-based important when we're talking about love? Because it gets to our motives. It gets to our motives. If I'm only living right because I'm trying to gain favor with God to save myself, then is my motives really pure? No, it's really just to save myself. However, if it's not about what I've done, but it's about what God has done for me, then me living right is a simple response to that. I love not because I have to, but because I am loved. I love not because I have to, but because I am loved loved. Jesus loves you. And because of that, we can respond in love. It's all about relationship. Last week, we talked about the Good Samaritan. There was a man who was beaten and he was robbed and a priest came along and ignored the guy. He walked on the other side of the road. A a church person, a Levite came along and he walked on the other side of the road. But then a Samaritan, someone that 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 culture hated, who was outcast. Again, Jesus in John chapter 8 was called either demon-possessed or Samaritan. Like that's that's the comparison that they gave him. And so this Samaritan comes along and he takes care of this man. He was a good neighbor. He brings him back to health and he pays for all his bills to get back into health. And that's what we looked at when we looked at what is being a good neighbor. And as Luke ends that story in Luke chapter 10, verse 37, he immediately tells us this next story. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had her sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with serving much, with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So many of us are so busy with getting things done. So many of us are so busy with the next thing on the agenda, the next meeting that we have to go to, the next phone call that we have to make, so busy with the next project, so busy with the next uh, uh, doctor's appointment, whatever it is. We're so busy taking care of things that we forget that relationship is the key thing. Love is the ultimate goal. And this is the difference that we see between Mary and Martha. We see that Martha wanted to get the stuff done, and Mary just wanted to have a relationship with Jesus. This is not saying that from here on out that you and I, we don't have to get anything done. No, there's still stuff you got to do, right? We still want to be responsible, right? But what it means is that we have to We have to prioritize relationship. We have to prioritize love. We have to prioritize time with Jesus. And we have to prioritize time with other people. Let's not get so busy in doing, even in doing things for God, that we forget about relationships. Let's not get so busy doing things that we forget about relationships. It's not 
performance-based. It's grace-based. It's relationship-based. It's not about doing the right things all the time. It's about having good relationships. And you and I, we can do that. We can do that. If we look at Jesus, Jesus got a lot done, but he was never in a hurry because he was intentional. In this life, you can only do a few things pretty well, but do what's most important. Love is the ultimate goal. Love is the ultimate goal. And my challenge to you today is that as you love, we're not loving with some ulterior motive. We're not, we're not loving because we're trying to get people to come to an event. We're not loving because that. We're loving because we are loved. We're loving because God has transformed me. God has changed me. God has, God's dealt with my temper. God's dealt with my, uh, my issues. God's dealt with that. And because God's dealing with me, I know that, that, that I can just respond to him in love. I can respond to him by loving other people. And when I do that, I promise you that God is going to use you. God is going to use your word, your testimony, what you've been through. He's going to use that to draw 